17 in our sermon series, which is Jesus' final prayer where he asks the Father to act. So far in this series, we've seen that the Father asks, or that the Son asks the Father to glorify him, to hold fast to the children of God. This morning, we are looking at John 17, verses 13 through 19 where Jesus continues to intercede to the Father on behalf of His children, as He started in verse 11. Specifically, He's asking the Father to spiritually grow the children of God by having the Father put His love on full display. As the Father grows His children, their lives are changed, and their relationship with Him changes with it. The relationship, it becomes more intimate And it affects not only how they view Him, but how they pray to Him. Let us now read together John 17, verses 13 to 19. This is the word of the Lord. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them my word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, So I have sent them into the world. For for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, Father, we pray this morning that you would open our hearts and open our minds to your word that we may not only understand it, but see you and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2021 is a special year for me, for it marks a ministry anniversary. It has been 15 years since God has called me into professional ministry. Now, most of those 15 years, have, I have served Him primarily serving youth and families. And one of the essential responsibilities in that ministry is to minister to the parents of the youth providing them resources for counseling and guiding their children. In ministering to parents, two questions come up often. Why is my child not walking with the Lord yet? What can I, make, what can I do to make them a Christian? Or the second question, is my chi- why is my child struggling with a specific sin? What can I do to help them? Both of these questions are come out of a parent's desire for their children to either be a follower of Jesus or growing in their faith. My guidance to them usually points them back to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 6, which say this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. 
This is the duty of parents. To live the Gospel. To share it with their kids. To pray with and for them. Yet a parent cannot make a child a Christian. A parent cannot make their child stop falling into a certain sin. That is not within their power. This is something that only God can do Himself. He is the one who calls and grows His children. As hard as it may be, a parent's job is to follow God's Word and to trust Him to work in and through His people. For the God who loves us shows us His love. The Father's love is greater than any earthly father's love. For God the Father can do what an earthly father cannot do. Love His children perfectly. By perfectly filling them with joy, perfectly providing for them, and perfectly sanctifying them. This is what Jesus is asking the Heavenly Father to do. To be the perfect Father to His followers. To love them. To see what God has in store for them. We see this throughout Scripture. And the Father answers this request that Jesus is giving with an emphatic yes. Yes, He will fill them with joy. Yes, He will provide for them. And yes, He will sanctify them. Let's look at the first request that Jesus has to the Father. That He loves His children by filling them with joy. We see this in verse 13, which says this, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is praying here that the Father would fill His children with joy. The joy that Jesus has Himself. Now this word fulfilled, in the Greek it means to make something full, which was not full before. Many times when we hear the word filled in our minds, we go one of two places. Either you have a full tank of gas... Or a full belly. Usually both of these things do bring us some type of joy. For instance, in, my, in many years, my family would participate in a family reunion. At the every, every year, at the end of July, we would all gather around from cities all over the country, and we would fellowship with one another for a weekend. We would eat lots of food, and our stomachs would be filled. We would have great conversations and our emotional needs would be satisfied. And then on Sunday morning, we would gather together and our hearts would be filled with joy as we worshiped the one and only God. Sadly, soon after the weekend was over, the joy which we found in food and conversations would soon be gone. For earthly pleasures can only give us what can best be described as fleeting joy. For we confuse joy and happiness. They are not the same thing. Happiness, it's similar to joy, but it's something that goes far deeper. For it's long-lasting. Joy is the certainty of God's sovereignty. Knowing that He is in control of all things for all of eternity. He is in control of space and time and every moment of every day before, now, and in the future. He is the chooser, He is the sender, and He is the bringer of salvation. True joy is not a feeling, but an understanding of the truth that God is sovereign. 
This is why we can be joyful even when things are going bad around us. In contrast, earthly pleasures, they can only give us what we think we desire rather than what we truly desire. Now, I'm not saying that earthly pleasures are bad. Far from it. But they are nothing compared to the joy that God provides. For as the Puritan pastor Thomas Manton famously said, what can we desire beyond God? The answer, nothing. For He is what we truly desire. Therefore, true joy can only be found in Him. And if you know Jesus as your Savior, the Father fills you with this joy. As Jesus' prayer continues, He shows us His intimate relationship with the Father. This is what He's praying for us to have that flows out of this joy. That we would know what it's like to be in a close relationship with our Creator, King, and Judge, Ruler of all. Jesus knows what it's like to have that intimate relationship with the Father. And He desires for us to have one as well. No other type of relationship can even compare with a relationship with the Father. For a relationship with Him is more intimate than a marriage. For the Father knows every moment that has ever happened and will ever happen to you. And yet, He still loves you. So what should we do in the interim? What should we do as we, um, as we, as we seek this relationship? We should continue to, uh, to look, or, sorry about that, um, as we look deeper into this relationship of what, God, of what God does for us, we see that his, a relationship with Him removes our anxiety. And God continues to grow His children by filling them with joy. We grow in our trust with Him, our trust of Him. And through us trusting in Him and growing in this relationship with Him, He removes our anxiety. He slowly removes it about everything that the world brings about. So what should we do as he's slowly removing our anxiety? The simple answer is tough in practice, though. Abide in the Father's love. Meaning that we must love the Father as he has loved us. For as we are abiding in the Father's love, his joy fills us and gives us strength. As we see in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is my strength. It gives us strength even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of temptations and persecution. And like the Father's joy, His strength that He gives is perfect. It's exactly what we need. Abide in the Father's love. The second request that Jesus asks is for the Father to show His love by providing for His children. We see this in verses 14 to 16, which say this, I have given them your word that the, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We see in these verses three things that God provides we see that He provides His Word, He provides citizenship in heaven, and protection as well as perseverance. 
In the first part of verse 14, Jesus reminds us that the Father has provided for us His Word, saying, I have given them Your Word. Jesus, in speaking to the Father, shows us that He came to earth and why He came to earth. To be the gift of grace. To bring about salvation from sin, which is the breaking of God's law. Since Adam broke God's law by eating of the fruit of the tree, sin has reigned. And the punishment for sin is death and eternal separation from God. This is why Adam and all after him, including us, have experienced the pains, the sorrows, the consequences of sin. All of God's creation has been affected by it. Yet while God was still speaking the punishment to Adam, He also promised to send a Savior to bring about salvation from sin. And this is what the Father did when He sent Jesus, the Son, to fulfill the promise made so long ago that He would live a perfect life according to the law. Something that we could never do. And then taking all of sin upon Himself and dying a death that each one of us deserve on the cross. Taking all of the punishment, shame, and rejection, being cast out by the Father. Yet by His own power, three days later, He rose from the grave, defeating death, and through His victory over the grave, He gives eternal life to all who call upon His name. For the salvation He fought for, He gives freely. This gift of grace. This is the message of the Word that Jesus is praying to the Father about. This is what Jesus knew was going to happen. For in this passage, we see it takes place, in a few verses prior to it, it takes, bef- takes um, place the night before His trial and His crucifixion. Praise be to God that on the night before He would be betrayed, He prayed for our sakes. He prayed not out of an anxiety, but out of a certainty of what he knew he had to do for the sake of God's children. Praise be to God that Jesus came as the Word. And since the Word is from God, we know that it is true. For God is holy. He is set apart and He is perfect. Thus, infallible and inerrant. We also know from other parts of Scripture that God's Word is the rule of faith and practice. Or in other words, it not only convicts us of our sin, it shows salvation and how we are to live, the commands we are to obey, how to live a life um, that God desires. God's Word is the foundation for the Christian life, the lens of our worldview, and we must live according to it. Pray according to it. Worship according to it. For this is God speaking to us. Showing us His love by His Word. Praise be to God for giving us His Word by giving us His Son. The second item that that the Father provides is citizenship in heaven. We see this in the second half of verse 14, which says this, and the word has, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now, this terminology, it can be a bit confusing. 
It almost sounds like a science fiction film that the people who are the children of God are not real human beings. Nothing could be further from the truth. This verse simply means that the children of God no longer have citizenship in heaven. Or sorry, no longer have citizenship here on earth, but have citizenship in heaven. Sorry about that. We see this plainly in verses um, in Philippians verses 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Meaning that if you are a child of God, you are, this is no longer your home. You have become an alien in a foreign land. The world here has citizenship here on earth. And it is at odds with you. For you are worshiping the one true God. The world, though, worships another. Satan. And his laws are far from God's. God's word calls out and it exposes sin. And for it, the world hates it. To be a citizen of heaven is to be countercultural. It's to be subverting the dominant cultural paradigm. To be citizens of heaven is to live here on earth and yet have a deep longing to be with God in heaven. To be with Him in a way that cannot be done here on earth because of our sin. To be a citizen of heaven is to be duty-bound to fight against sin and to proclaim the gospel and to transform the culture around you. Unfortunately, though, some have seen this verse and instead of living in this world and not of it, they have decided to run and hide from the world, to have nothing to do with people who are not the children of God, isolating themselves from those who do not claim Christ as Savior. This view is opposite of Scripture. We see this in 1 Peter 3.14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Instead of hiding from the world, we are to suffer for righteousness' sake, like that of Christ. We are to fight against the world by shining the light of Christ to all the earth. Now this is not going to be easy. The reason Jesus is praying for His disciples is that He knows that it's going to be tough. That they cannot do this on their own. And neither can any follower of God. It is only by the power of God's Spirit that we can resist sin and proclaim the Gospel. It's not of ourselves. It is by God Himself. Just as it is by His Spirit that He saves people from sin. As we look at the world around us, fighting back, it seems to be a daunting task. Just reading the news, I know it makes my heart ache. Longing to see that the world, that people, individuals would see the love that God gives, the peace that He bestows, the true justice that He brings. In America, during the last decade, the thin veil of a Christian moral ethic that had shrouded our culture for so many generations was removed. And now we see what our society truly believes, how it expects us to act, all of which is contrary to God's Word. If you are a follower of God, you cannot stand on the sidelines, for there are no sidelines. Where you live is a spiritual battleground. 
And the weapons that God has provided you as a citizen of heaven are found in His Word. Proclaim the Word. Pray the Word. Share the Word with others. Read the Word and live according to it. All of these aid you in your fight. For God's Word is truth. And He lovingly provides it for us to use in this battle which is not against flesh and blood, which is not, um, but is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Praise be to God for providing His Word and citizenship in heaven. Praise be to Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Thirdly, the Father is, provides per- perseverance and protection from sin here on earth. It's impossible for us to follow God's Word and to obey His commands all on our own. We are constantly fighting with our sin nature. We desire the things of this world instead of the things of God. If you were a follower of God, you were in a constant struggle to break free from the temptations that are all around us. If you were on your own, you would fall away from grace. But thankfully, that is not the case. That is not how God works. We may struggle. We may have doubts. We may desire for sin instead of righteousness. But God never lets His children go. We see this um, in verses 15 and 16. Jesus prays with this in mind. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. As Mark preached last week, in these verses, in the verses preceding these, verses 6 to 12, Jesus was, was praying about his followers, and now he is asking the fathers, he is asking the Father to actually fulfill this, to keep them. In verse 15, he is specifically asking them, specifically asking the Father to keep them from the evil one. Similarly to how we pray in the Lord's Prayer, which we just prayed a few moments ago. To better help us understand this, picture a child. A child with a death grip on a toy. Something that they will never give to you no matter how much you ask, no matter how much you beg. And they're going to hold this because that's what they desire. And there's nothing that you can do to change their mind. The same is with the Father. Nothing can change His mind. Nothing can convince Him to give up or give away His children. And He has absolute power, absolute strength, more than any child could have. He never lets His people go. For He is God Almighty. He holds them for they are His. And He will not give back what He rightfully owns. For as as we saw before, everyone who is a follower of God has been bought by a price. And that price is the blood that Christ shed on the cross. Because of this great sacrifice, the love that God has for His people is unbreakable. Like God's endurance, it cannot be beaten. Now, the power of heaven or or any power below, nothing can beat Him. Therefore, if someone has been bought by the blood of Christ, they will be kept from the evil one, for God does not break His promises. 
Now, if you are a follower of God, that doesn't mean that you're going to have an easy life. We saw this in the previous verses. If you are a citizen of heaven and not of this world, you're going to struggle. There are going to be things pressuring you, tempting you. The rest of your life will be a battle against sin. But this does not mean that you are on your own. Think of the life of the Apostle Paul. He was consistently in prison or being stoned for the cause of Christ. Yet God kept him until he called him home. No matter what city he went, no matter what sin he preached against, no matter what church he was planting, no matter what he was preaching, all of these things, God was with him. God does the same for all of his children. Even when you are in the midst of the greatest temptation or trial in your life that you've ever experienced, he is with you and will help you overcome it. Trust in his strength. Trust in his word. Trust that God will bring you through whatever you are facing. Either by giving you the opportunity to praise him here on earth or in heaven. Praise be to God for his provision. So far this morning, we have seen that the Father grows His children by lovingly filling them with joy and by lovingly providing for them. Lastly, in, the, in verses 17 and 19, we see that the Father lovingly sanctifies His children. Verses 17 and 19 say this, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also or that they also may be sanctified in truth. In these verses Jesus is praying to the Father asking him to sanctify his followers or in other words to make them holy. Now the word holy it gets thrown around a lot in both secular and sacred circles usually with a former being said in a facetious manner. But In God's Word, we see the term holy means to be set apart or consecrated for a specific purpose. For instance, many of you may like the candy um, Skittles. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Skittles with a rainbow of colors, all with a different flavor. Maybe you have a specific flavor that you like the best. A lot of times you may put them aside, all those same colors, so you can eat them at a specific time, either at the beginning or at the end. Whatever you choose. (laughs) This is what Jesus did as well in verse 19. He sets himself apart for the purpose of bringing about salvation from sin. And similarly, the Father sets his children apart to make them holy. He chose them before the foundation of the world and He sets them apart for a purpose. To call them to Himself. To save them from sin. Salvation not based on any future work, but out of His love for them. Now the action of sanctifying is not only setting someone apart. There's a second aspect to it. It's the purging of their sin to make them pure. Like an antivirus computer software, searching out and removing any infected files. This is what God is doing throughout the Christian life. Slowly purging His followers of their desire for sin and replacing it with the desire for the things of God. Changing not only their thoughts, but their actions as well. In this last section of our passage, 
we see the focus not on the people that Jesus is praying for, but the method of their sanctification. Verse 17, it highlights a theme that we have already looked at. How God's Word is truth. And it is with the truth that God sanctifies His children. We live in a world full of relativism. That everyone can have their own truth. And that their truth is, is as equally valid as anyone else's. In this view, God's Word is one truth among many. Instead of being the truth, the only truth, the foundation that we build our lives on. And it is by the truth, the one truth, that God sanctifies His children. For as we have heard God's Word preached today, as we have read it together, as we have sung it, as we have prayed it, His Word is already working in you either planting a a seed of the gospel or growing it in your life. For God's Word does not return void. God's Word is unlike any other book, for it is the literal Word of God. And it has power beyond our understanding. His Word, it changes hearts and minds and actions. By the power of His Spirit, He works in His children to change them into the image of Christ back to how they were before sin entered into the world, when God made the world and called it good. As we have already seen today, sanctification, this process of making someone holy, it takes time. And if you are a follower of God, while you are being sanctified, you are not to wait on the sidelines. For this process will not be completed this side of heaven. Until the work is done... We must go and live according to God's Word, as we see in verse 18. As you sent me into this world, so I sent them into the world. We must go out into the world and share the Gospel with others. For if you are a follower of God, you are a messenger with the greatest news that you could ever have. Just as the Father sent the Son to bring about salvation from sin, we are to go out into the world And to proclaim the message of Jesus. Proclaim that He lived. Proclaim that He died and was risen to life again to bring about salvation from sin and eternal life in heaven. Praise be to Jesus for praying for the Father on our behalf. For spending His last moments in the garden praying for His followers both in the present and in the future. And by example, showing the intimate relationship that we can have with the Father. And praying that we would grow in that intimate relationship with Him. And model His prayer. Model by praying on the behalf of others. For prayer is how we communicate with God. Thanking Him. Bringing all of our concerns, cares, and anxieties before Him. And praying on the behalf of others. For just as Jesus prayed interceding on our behalf for the Father, we must do also. We must pray for our family, our friends, and our neighbors. We must pray that God would soften their hearts and call them to Himself. I encourage you to pray for the people on your prayer card that Pastor Mark has been talking about the last few weeks. To pray for the people that are on your heart. To pray for your neighbors to pray for your family who do not know Christ as Savior. 
Pray that the Father would give them the joy which we heard about in the beginning. Pray that He would provide for them as He has provided for you. And pray that, they, that He would sanctify them as He is sanctifying you. Pray for opportunities to share the Word, the truth, the Gospel in conversations. And pray, them, pray for them with confidence. Because God not only hears your prayers, but He answers them. For God is the one who brings about faith and salvation. Praise to God for His wondrous love. Praise to the God who brings joy, provision, and sanctification. Praise be to the Father who grows His children by putting His love on full display. Amen. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, holy and almighty God, I thank You for what You have done. I thank You for sending Jesus to live the perfect life, to to die the perfect death, and to be risen to life again, to bring about salvation from sin. Father, thank You for giving us Your Word that we may not only see it, but that, that we may be able to read it, understand it, and apply it to our lives. Thank You for the power that Your Word has to change lives, to, to show us our sin and call us to righteousness. Father, please also um, please help us, to remind us to pray on the behalf of others just as Jesus has prayed for us. Father, please help us to do this not only today, not only tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.